What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a jam-packed good show for you uh, today. Recap the World Series, of course, uh, in Week 7 of the National Football League, including my Cincinnati Bengals, who continue to spit the bit late in ball games. And we got some news as far as uh, and player movement within the NFL, and Des Bryant, and Carlos Dunlap, and all that sort of stuff is concerned. But first off, we begin, and how can you not, with the 2020 World Series. Uh, the game that was played... After I signed off on Saturday this past week, it was one of the greatest baseball games that you were ever going to see. Game four of the 2020 World Series between the between the Rays and the Dodgers. And one, that was one of the most stupendous, ridiculous, what the heck sort of uh, baseball games and finishes that you were ever going to see. I mean, yeah, Rosarena stumbling home between th- about when he's about like 15, 20 feet away from home plate. Will Smith, because he has his mask on, thinks that Rosarena is right on top of him. Doesn't doesn't see that Rosarena stumbles, so he rushes. He doesn't let the ball come to him. He kind of like tries to snatch the ball out of the th- out of the air. It hits off the tip of his glove, gets behind him. So when he goes to tag a Rose Rainer, the ball isn't even in his glove. It's it's right behind him by the backstop. Uh, uh, I think it was Chris Taylor that the center fielder doesn't look the ball into his glove. He's busy looking at the action, running around the bases. Max Muncy and um, it was such it was such, such an unbelievable. Unbelievable turn of events. Unbelievable. Again, oh, this is one of the most exciting, thrilling baseball games you're ever going to see. Game five, Kershaw gets it done. Uh, you know, as he finally put to bed his uh, postseason demons with uh, with his phenomenal performance on Sunday night. Six, five and two thirds, giving up five hits, two runs, six strikeouts. So we give Kershaw all the credit in the world. And that is where we set the stage for game set or excuse me, game six of the World Series on uh, last night. Game six of the World Series, it starts with uh, Randy Arozarena, who's had one of the greatest postseason performances you're ever going to see, hitting a solo home run in the top of the first inning. And then you have Blake Snell, who's left-handed pitcher, arguably, one of the, arguably if not the, the Rays' best starting pitcher, who was mowing the Dodgers down all night, struck out nine batters, gave up one lousy run and two hits, went five and a third, and Kevin Cash took him out of the game. Five and a third. Two hits, one run. That was a home run by Mookie. Excuse me. That was a. Uh, it was an RBI by Seeger in the fifth inning. Or excuse me. Let me make sure I get this right. Uh, it, uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Play. Let me make sure I get this right. And it was a run charged to him. Okay. So charge to Seeger. Bottom of the six with the okay. Alright, there you go. Gave okay. So now we got this situation. But again, five and a third, two hits, 
Nine strikeouts. And he took him out of the game. I mean... In sports, you know, Tiger Woods, back nine of the Masters, he finishes the deal. Uh, LeBron James plays the last two minutes of an NBA basketball game. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. They finish what they started late in games. Only baseball. Only baseball. Five and a third. Two hits. One run. Nine strikeouts. Was mowing the Dodgers down. And Kevin Cash, with the stupid analytics, took him out of the game! When will these managers learn what the analytics and the nonsense? I don't give a crap about third time through the lineup. I'm not interested. This man, what you, Bet said it, Robert said it. You watch the post game. These guys could not read the ball coming out of his hand. Why would they take him out the out the baseball game to bring in a reliever? They gave, they gave up runs in six consecutive postseason appearances. Really? Kevin Cash is going to sit up here and run to his bullpen and bring in a guy that has been awful in the past six consecutive postseason appearances. You must be kidding me. When, when, when will these Major League Baseball managers learn? Watch the game with your eyes. Use common sense. You got, he's been mowing down the Dodgers all night long and you take him out. Really? Because it's still a little analytics. Because the, kid with, because the kid with the fluffy hair with the flip-flops and the cargo shorts aren't drinking a Starbucks on his Schwinn bike on his way to the ballpark looks at his dopey computer that wouldn't know Mookie Best from Kanye Stritsky says, hey, hey, look, they're tough to line up. You know what, Kevin? Yep, you got to get him out. Nonsense! Watch the game with your eyes. What's so freaking complicated about that? You use common sense. And I tell you something. When they go back to Tampa, St. Peter, when they go back and they go in the team office and they have the end of the season meeting, whether it's via Zoom or social distancing in person. They can take all those little binders that they use to analyze the games and little nice little computers and laptops. Throw them out! When championships are won and lost, the manager has to make calls on what he says in front of them. Not with the books at third time through the line. Get That's not the way you manage in the World Series Game 6. You don't manage that way. You know what, how about Andy Reid in the Super Bowl after Patrick Mahomes throws interception with, what, 9.30 left in the fourth quarter against the 49ers. He pulls him out the game and he sends in, uh, whoever the, the, his name slips my throws in the back of quarterback for Kansas City. How about he does that? 
Matt Moore, I think. Yeah, throws in Matt Moore. Matt Moore, you got Nick Bosa on you. Let's go. Nonsense. Finish what you started. I don't understand why that's such a huge concept. He was more Mookie Betts went on MLB Network. Said, we couldn't. We couldn't say. We, we can't. We couldn't hit him. Betts said it. Ballinger said it. The manager Dave Roberts said it. And he takes him out the game. You must be kidding me. And it's not just me. If Stephen A. Smith is screaming, if Shannon Sharp is screaming, if Patrick Mahomes is screaming, I mean, come on, Cash, wake up and get a clue. It's the World Series. Not game 21 against the Baltimore Orioles. It's the World Series. He was mowing them down. They couldn't hit him all night long and threw 70-something pitches at that. So don't sleep and give me this garbage that he was tired. He threw 70-something pitches. Let him finish what he started. Forget the stupid analytics and the books and the computers. Computers don't win you championships. People do. My goodness gracious. What, 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 I, don't, I, I, I don't get it. How many times are these, are these teams going to learn that you cannot win championships with the computers and what the stats tell you? Go with what you see in your eyes and your own gut. It's called common sense. And he's mowing them down all night. You keep them in there until he proves you otherwise. I mean, come on. Tampa couldn't hit for anything either. Outside of a Rosalina, their best were shot. The best way Tampa could get to a game seven is if this game ended one nothing. And I want to sit up in here. Well, Mookie Betts, da, 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 da. Mookie Betts couldn't hit left-handed pitching all season long. Give me a break. I don't understand what's so what's what's so crazy about that. Common sense. Again, one more time. Five and a third, two hits, one run, nine strikeouts. And he took them out the game. You must be kidding me. To bring in Nick Anderson who gave up six, who gave up a, at least a run and six consecutive appearances coming out of the bullpen? You know what? And it served him right that he came in and he blew the game. Serves him right. Five out of 30 and you take him out of the game? Common sense, Kevin Cash. Common sense. If the whole world's screaming and yelling for you not to do it, then maybe you shouldn't do it. I'll give a crap about that's the way the sport is played. Nonsense. You watch the game with their eyes and you use common sense. He's been mowing them down all night. They couldn't hit him.
to run to that bullpen, which was shot. Nick Anderson, especially. Because he's so concerned about the third time through the lineup analytical bullcrap. Really? I mean, this is ridiculous. What game do these guys watch? Common sense. You sit there and you watch the game with your eyes. And if you have any sense of what the hell's going on, you watch watching that game, you don't sit up there and take the guy out after he's been mowing down the Dodgers headers all night long. They sit up there on television after the game saying, you know what? We we couldn't hit we couldn't hit snow all night. We couldn't even pick the ball, you know, coming out of his glove. He was so immaculate. And what happened? You take Snell out and you gave the Dodgers life. And lo and behold, you get a wild pitch and then the game breaks open. And you lost the game. It serves the race right. Serves them right. Congrats, Dodgers, on your, on your championship first time in 32, but it serves the race right. So they pay them on them down all night long, and you took them out the game. It sucked all the energy out of the race dugout and essentially pumped it all into the Dodgers. And it served Kevin Cash in the race right. They're overanalyzing these games. Come on, stop it. You don't need 9 million formulas to win a baseball game. You're not finding the cure for COVID. My gosh. Use common sense and watch the games with your eyes. It's ridiculous. I have plenty to say about Justin Turner back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelli Like a TIS podcast. So, so the game ends. And what we learned after the game was something that the players on the field learned in the middle of it. So apparently, I don't know how the hell you can test positive for coronavirus when you're supposed to be in a damn bubble secured to your own hotel like you should be. But, you know, God forbid, you know, I think I'm bigger and better than anybody else. God forbid I follow rules because how how dare they tell me to do something for people's health. I mean, it's just, it's, it really is astonishing. It really, really is. 
So, and then Justin Turner, who start, who started in the game, why, I have no idea. You know, Major League Baseball, again, Manfred drops the ball once again. You know, in the NFL, NFL if, if you have a faulty test, whether it's a false positive or it's, or it's murky or whatever, you're not allowed to play. That's just straight up. You're, just, you're not allowed to participate in the game. If you've got a faulty test, false positive, whatever it is, you're not allowed to play. Major League Baseball, because it's ran by Rob Manfred, you're allowed to play. So, which is which is which is just so stupid and so asinine. I'd be here till next Tuesday telling you why that's wrong. But Justin Turner tests positive for coronavirus, and then so they make it so they t- make him take him off the field. He basically has to like be quarantined wherever at some little location outside of the clubhouse. You know, inside the so. And then, so the game ends, right? Dodgers win the World Series. And the beginning of the, of the ceremony, Justin Turner isn't there. And then they come out of commercial, and Kevin Burkhardt breaks the news to America that he tested positive for COVID. Then he comes out and essentially acts like his business as usual and celebrates on, on, on the field with everybody. Now... That, now I understand that, you know, you bust your ass, you work your entire life to win a world championship, gone through what he gone through with the Astros and everything else. I, I understand that. But the fact that he disobeyed protocol and was, quote, emphatically refused to comply is an absolute Utter disgrace. A disgrace. For him to basically carry carry on on that field with with a mask either on that red beard of his or farting around hugging the with the trophy, uh, taking a team picture, essentially frolicking around the baseball field with no mask on. When he know good and damn well he was snipping all around there, positive with COVID. So who cares? He's asymptomatic. He's a carrier of the damn virus. For him to basically be as irresponsible and as stupid as he was is a joke. And Justin Turner looks like a, a first class jackass in this case. First class jackass. So he's walking around with COVID. Infecting photographers, news media people. Uh, I mean, the 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 family of of the other players. So you can make it. You make the argument. Well, well, I mean, if he's infected, he probably his teammates know they obviously didn't care. Um, you know, what does it matter? Well, here's what matters. Okay, Clayton Kershaw, his teammate, has young kids. You think Clayton Kershaw's young kids, A, has a mask on, and B, is really that mindful about the virus that they're going to keep away from Turner? Someone who's probably a godfather or, or an uncle to those kids? This is what Turner did. It's just so stupid. He's running around without a mask on 
infected. Sitting up here, like it's business as usual. Like, wait, what the, what the hell is wrong with you, Justin Turner? I mean, gosh, man. The fact that you would, quote, emphatically refuse to comply is the height of selfishness, is the height of self-centeredness, is the height of irresponsibility. He ought to be ashamed of himself. And God knows how many people he has infected. And i tell you something right now. He better hit his knees. Hit his knees. That, that any of his teammates' wives or children get hospitalized or God forbid die if they get uh, end up getting infected by COVID. Because, yeah, Justin Turner and if Mookie Betts or Cody Ballinger gets it, they'll be all right. But what about the young, what about Kershaw's young kids running around the field with no mask on? You trying to tell me that a toddler or a young or a little kid's immunity si immune system is as strong as, as a 25, 26, 27-year-old man? If they get it, all right, they might survive. But what? But, well, let's say one of Clayton Kershaw kids gets it. Say that. What are you going to do then? What's Justin Turner going to do then? When Clayton Kershaw and his family have to spend Thanksgiving in the hospital because one of his kids has got a tube going down his throat because Justin Turner said, you know what? I'm Big Bad Superman. I won a championship. I have to hell with the rules, to hell with the, the health protocols. I'm going to sit up here and gallivant along, gallivant around the middle of the field and just to hell with everybody, just infect everybody with COVID. emphatically refused to reply. That's what Major League Baseball said. And he's sitting up here, hugging everybody, kissing the trophy. And then this man sits up here and has the balls, the balls, to sit up here and kiss his girlfriend. When he's sitting up here infected with COVID. Are you crazy right now? Again, it's the selfishness it's the self-centeredness, and it's the overall I really don't give a damn about anybody else mentality, which is why we continue to live with this pandemic seven months in. It's almost as if, yeah, to hell with everybody else. As long as I'm fit, as long as I'm fit, I got no sin, as long as I'm feeling fine, to hell with what everybody else, tell everybody else's health, to hell what everybody else feels like, Tell what they, you know, I, I, he, I swear to God, he better hit his knees and pray. I don't give a damn if he, if he prays to the Buddha, to Muhammad, to Allah, or to the good Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever God he may worship, he needs to pray to it night in and night out, day in and day out, that none of those people get severely sick and one of them ends up 
on a ventilator or God forbid dies because of this. Because of his selfishness, his blatant, utter stupidity and irresponsibility. You cannot defend this under any circumstances. You cannot. This man knowingly infected with COVID ignores the rules, ignores protocol, emphatically, Major League Baseball said, emphatically ignores it. And thinks he's Mr. Big Bad Superman who's going to go out there gallivant his ginger behind out, out, out on that field and pretty much say the hell with it Infect everybody. Like he could, he honestly could could give a damn about anybody else's health. And for his Dodger cohorts to basically have that to hell with it mentality, it's irresponsible too. Because yeah, you can say to hell with it and basically, you know, be in a state of ecstasy after you finish winning a World Series on what? Tuesday, October 27th. But what are you going to do, you know, Wednesday, November the 5th? When you're feeling like crap, you're gasping fast, can't hardly breathe. You got to be rushed to the hospital. So please, you come in with all your crap, well, 99% to hell with all that bull crap. I'm not interested. Because if Cody Ballinger gets it and he survives, all right, fine. But if one of Clayton Kershaw's little kids gets it with a tube going down, down their throat, Gasping for air, fighting for their lives in a hospital. I want. I wonder. I wonder if they'll have that same careless mentality then. It's easy to say that when you're state of euphoria. What are you gonna say when damn near the entire organization adds it, and a couple of guys spread it to? Their wives, their brothers, whoever else was there on Tuesday night. I understand you just won a championship. I get all that. But Justin, some things are, 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 are bigger than you, believe it or not. Bigger than you. Bigger than your little stupid girlfriend who you seen up here swap, swap and spit with, with the commissioner's trophy in hand. Things a little bigger than you. There's a pandemic we've been living with since March. Get a clue. For you to emphatically refuse to comply after your dumbass somehow, somewhere when you're supposed to be stuck in a bubble got infected with COVID. For you to emphatically refuse to re comply and then go out there and just say the hell with everybody else and essentially turn the Turn a World Series celebration to a super spreader event is a joke and is, is a disgrace.
And it just shows how selfish, self-centered, clueless, and stupid a lot of Americans have been with handling this pandemic. As long as I feel good, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as it fits my convenience, to hell with everybody else. And you know what? They, Dave Roberts and Mookie Betts can hug and kiss Justin Turner till the cows come home. Let me see them say that when they're quarantined from the outside world for 14 days with their breathing messed up, coughing like a, like a cigarette addict with COVID. Let me see them say that when, God forbid, someone close to them, they they may accidentally infect that doesn't have a, a great immune system or has pre-existing health conditions, gets it, and has to stay in the hospital for 21 days. Or, God forbid, dies because of this. Again, we all know Rob Manfred is incompetent. That ain't anything new underneath the sun. But for Justin Turner to be adamant about being out there on that field when he knows good and damn well he's infected and could be and could jeopardize the health of everyone else he comes with in contact with is a joke and is a disgrace. It's a, it's a disgrace. Again, one more time. Emphatically refuse to comply. And then he snipped there kissing his girlfriend infected with COVID. Really? Really? Again, Justin Turner, first class jackass. Because I guarantee you, if God forbid one of his teammates or Dave Roberts has to be rushed to the hospital... Because COVID essentially has him gasping for air. I wonder if he'll still, still still sing that same song and dance then. It's easy to say it now. When in, when in, it really hasn't kicked in yet. And you're on cloud nine because you just won the World Series. Let me see him say that. When... The entire organization is infected and Clayton Kershaw's kids might be sick. One of the players' wives is sick and is expecting or has asthma or has diabetes, whatever the case might be. Justin Turner ought to be ashamed of himself because what he did was stupid Completely asinine, selfish, and self-centered to the point where you got to damn near question his character, in my honest opinion. You're infected with COVID. I understand you just won a World Series. 
It ain't like they don't take away the championship from you, Justin. Sit your ass in the clubhouse and go through the protocols like everybody else had to go through. And how you you had people die because of this virus. And he thinks that little of it that he's just going to sit up there and gallivant his orange ass around around the field at Globe Life because he thinks he's Superman because he won a because he won a World Series championship. Really, Kobe don't give a damn about your World Series championship. And I wonder if they'll sing that same song and dance when the Kershaw's got to spend Thanksgiving in a hospital room or via FaceTime because one of Kershaw's young kids is sick with COVID with a tube going down her throat and can't hardly breathe. One if, if they'll think the same then. And for all of them to be just as irresponsible, wanting, wanting Kershaw on the field, or excuse me, wanting Turner on the field with them, is also very irresponsible as well. But Turner, but Turner should absolutely catch hell because of his blatant, egregious irresponsibility, stupidity, and just sheer arrogance. And y'all wonder why we are damn near in November still dealing with this virus. And even if you want to go out there, Justin, to celebrate, at least have the damn courtesy to keep your you to keep your damn mask on. Turner should be ashamed of himself. And it's and it shows you that that his wife wasn't exactly valedictorian at whatever school she gra- she graduated from. Kissing a man infected with COVID. Real smart, guys. Real smart. Real smart. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelic TIS podcast. Switching gears now, we've put it off because we had to address the baseball, but we do it every Wednesday of the last couple of Wednesdays that I've been doing these little midweek podcast episodes for y'all. And that is to recap the weekend that was of the National Football League, and we begin with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who... I got to tell you the truth. They have made me eat whether they listen to my podcast episodes. I mean, you never know who's listening. Whether they listen to my podcast episodes, tell them I'm a bladed form. One of them discovered them by accident. 
or whatever it was, and maybe they used the fact that I basically said that this was a six-win football team uh, as a little motivation because, boy, if they made me eat crow. Uh, this the only undefeated team in football thanks to Russell Wilson uh, having essentially the worst game of the season that was on Sunday night, and we'll get to that later on. But they are the only undefeated team left in the National Football League. Um, and heading into this game, the Titans and the Steelers were both undefeated. At the end of this game, one team was going to be the only team standing as the only undefeated team in the AFC heading into, of course, the Seattle game had not been played yet, of course, but the Steelers, the only undefeated team in football, uh, came out and punched the Titans right in the mouth in the first half. And then, of course, like the Steelers do, they like to lax, you know, lax in the, in the beginning of the second half, let their opponents get a little momentum, let them start feeling themselves and, and give their opponents a sense of uh, false hope to let them get back in the game because, you know, the Steelers love making the games interesting. And God forbid if the Yenzers uh, can have a moment of peace where they can just watch watch the Steelers blow out their opponents and go along the merry way. But like the, like the Seahawks, the Steelers always have to make games a little bit more um, complicated and than what they need to be. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger certainly did that, turning over the football three times. And this is why now now give Pittsburgh all the credit in the world. Mike Tomlin give them all the Big Ben, the the defense. Give them all the credit in the world. They've made. If you told me. If you told me back when I did that rant, uh, I think the the uh, the days before uh, Labor Day, beginning of September, that Pittsburgh near the halfway point of the season would be six and zero in first place in the AFC North, mind you, the only undefeated team in football coming coming down the uh, home stretch of the first half of the NFL season, I would have called you eighty seven different types of crazy, but. Grant, but you know, part of it's luck. You know, the, I mean, the fact that Goskowski missed the field goal, which essentially's been like his first major miss since the Bronco game, uh, in Week One, on Monday Night Football. Uh, you know, that's luck. You know, the fact that Kansas City got beat by uh by the Raiders, who didn't have a clue against uh against the Bucks. We'll, against the Bucks, we'll get to them a little bit later on. Who didn't have a clue against the Bucks, and that also plays a a, a a luck part into it. And if you would have told me that the Ravens wouldn't even bother to show up against the Chiefs on that Monday night, the third Monday night of the season, I would have I would have been I would have been shocked because I would have been like, well, I, I, you would think the Ravens being, you know, a home primetime game. The Ravens, I know no fans, but the Ravens just don't lose. But so I look, so luck has like played a part of it, you know, in the fact that the Chiefs and the Ravens aren't undefeated at this point in the season, and the fact that they won this game by the hair of their of their uh, chinny chin chin. Granted, the defense did a phenomenal job holding Derrick Henry to 75 yards rushing on the ground, one touchdown, and uh, so the defense deserves credit there. They let A.J. Brown go crazy in the game with six receptions, 153 yards receiving, but you know they deserve credit for stopping Derrick Henry. Uh, and they've and the defense for the most part has played exceptionally well. And hey, I've raised my right hand. I had the Steelers going six and ten, and we're not even halfway done the season already. They they got six wins and they're six and zero. Oh. So uh, you know, unless the unless the Steelers 
give the 2018 Steelers collapse a run for their money unless they lose the you know 10 games in a row and just absolutely just crap the bed I look like a genius but the chance of that happening is uh, you know I have a better chance of uh, of uh, having Tiana Trump over for a steak dinner tonight than than the Pittsburgh Steelers do at losing 10 games in a row to end the season but they have to, they've made me crow and give them all the credit in the world. Tom has done a nice job. That defense has absolutely turned it. I mean, just think about how how where the Steve where the Steelers defense was three years ago in compared to now. I mean, this is the Steelers deep. You know, a, a good a great Steeler defense is something that you know that we've been accustomed to ever since we've been watching football. Whether it be the two thousand eight Pittsburgh Steelers team. Uh, in the 2008 Pittsburgh Steelers team of the Steel Curtains of the 70s, Pittsburgh and defense is like peanut butter. Pittsburgh and a great defense is like peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. And, uh, you know, and considering that this defense was one of the worst defenses in all of football three, four years ago, and and all of a sudden it's, it's back to essentially the old gritty uh, steel curtain, quote-unquote, way of defensive football is crazy, and that's a big part why they're six and zero. They, you know, and the formula to this game, like I told you guys, is to stop Derrick Henry, and uh, and honestly, they did they did a phenomenal job. That now that now the secondary was was spotty, letting AJ Brown go crazy six receptions, six receptions, one hundred and fifty three yards receiving, which was essentially the bulk of Ryan Tannehill's two twenty yards passing. You know they got and they gotta make Ryan Tannehill throw a couple of throw a couple of turnovers. Uh, you know he didn't turn over the football, so they gotta do a better job creating turnovers. But you know, give the Steelers credit; they've had a phenomenal first six first six weeks of the season, and they and they deserve all the credit in the world. Again, got lucky. Goskowski missing the field a little late because the second half Steelers obviously wanted the Titans to have that game worst way unimaginable. Big Ben throwing three interceptions. And making the game as close as it was when it should have been a blowout outright, you know. So a little luck plays in plays into a part of them being six and zero, and the fact that it's a game in the, you know that it's a game of chance. But give the Steelers credit; they they, they did what they needed to do, and they took care of business against the Titans, twenty seven twenty four. Um, and then of course they're the Dallas Cowboys. Lord have mercy, the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are one of the most pathetic pathetic football teams to watch. I mean the fact that that the NFL and NBC is going to say now and and, and I agree that they should that they should flex Steelers and Ravens to Sunday night football and I'm going to do that because because even though the networks have uh, even though the networks have no even though the networks have no power of uh, of putting games on television the league does the TV networks just pay the money and the NFL puts the games where they see fit, but even but CBS but CBS be damned if the NFL is going to essentially uh, let them take take both Steelers and Ravens games away from it. it's already bad enough in CBS's eyes that they lose one they lose they lose the Ravens at Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving night so and the NFL is going or excuse me CBS is going to. Hold this weekend's one o'clock game between Pittsburgh and Baltimore with fans in the stadium. By the way, on November first, in uh, in my great city, 
they're not they are not gonna let that they are not gonna let the NFL take that game away from them and let NBC have the two Pittsburgh and Baltimore games. They are not gonna let that happen. No, no. no. Now it should now and for as far as quality of the matchup is concerned, that game should be on Sunday night, but it's not going to be. And and it, and it stinks because because America is going to be subjected to the absolutely pathetic and disgusting, putrid Dallas Cowboys going up against the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean that I mean you, you know it depends on how my mood is on a Sunday night. But I'm I may say screw it. I may watch a movie. I may play Madden with. I don't. I don't. I, I am. I am not interested. Uh, to watch the to watch the two and five Dallas Cowboys who have not won a game on the road with Ben DiNucci at quarterback play against the Philadelphia Eagles who aren't exactly uh, who don't exactly win football games the cleanest and the most uh, textbook way imaginable. I mean, oh, this team has this team has no guts. This team has no fight. This I mean, this team is pathetic. I mean, it's it's like Dagger broke his ankle. They won the seat. They won that giant game out of you know for you know it's like Dak's motivation only carried only carried them about what two two quarters what what a uh, what about a quarter and a half whatever it was carried them for the rest of that giant game. It was like you know what Dak's not here to hell with the season. Who cares? We play in a trash division where if we catch lightning in a bottle, we can win this division and get a and get a home playoff game and you know and maybe play a. Uh, you know, and play a, a flat Seahawks team, or you know, just what you know, you know, you never know, or play a flat Saints team that never wins big games on the road as of late. You know, to hell with that possibility. We'll just, you know, what Dak's gone for the season with a broken ankle. Tell with everything, and they just quit, and they just they quit on the coaches. They quit on they quit on the on the season. They quit on the fans. They quit on Jerry Jones, and they've quit on them, and they've quit on themselves. This team is an absolute disgrace and and a, and a more pathetic football team. Pathetic. Zeke Elliott, twelve carries, forty-five yards. Really, really. Longest run of the day was twelve was twelve yards. Really. Got getting bulldozed, getting absolutely pummeled at the point of attack, pass blocking. Zeke getting paid all that money. Really. Not sticking up for Andy Dalton when uh, when he nearly got decapitated. Really, this team, this Dallas Cowboy team, is pathetic and is awful, and they are done. D O N E done. You you practically might as well give the NFC East Championship to Philadelphia by default because this team has no fight. They have no grit. They have no guts. It's like Zeke went down, they finished the giant game, and they just and they basically just put put the season on cruise control to the rest of the season. I don't know what I I, I understand Dak is a key important part of the locker room, and you know, at this point he's the best player on the team, but for them to basically put the rest of the season on cruise control and just throw up their hands and say to hell with it all because Dak Prescott broke his ankle and it ain't like with all due respect to Dak, it ain't like Dak Prescott's Troy Aikman or Roger Staubach. For them to do that is it's just so just it's unprofessional and it's just unbecoming. Like y'all are professional athletes. 
professional athletes. I understand Dak is your guy and he's hurt, but y'all got to show some fight and some grit here. Come on. And they haven't. They haven't. They got absolutely pummeled by Washington 25-23. They stink. They flat up and down stink. And that Sunday night game is borderline unwatchable. Not necessarily because of the Eagles, but because of how pathetic and how depressing Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys are to watch play football. They are so uninspiring, it's mind-boggling. Oh, they, they, oh they, 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 they are as dead as a doornail, as dull as old dishwater, as old dishwater. They do not inspire. They do not motivate. They are pathetic. 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 We say goodnight to Dallas. Moving on to 49ers and the Patriots. The Patriots, I t ladies and gentlemen, the New England Patriots are in trouble. This team, they're in trouble. You know, Cam Newton, I, and maybe it's bad luck. All the momentum's gone since he tested positive for COVID and couldn't play in the Chief game, but he was awful. Nine for 15, 98 yards pass passing and, and through three interceptions. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's abysmal, abysmal. 49ers got back on track. Jimmy G, 20 for 25, 277 passing yards through two interceptions, though, which you don't like. Jeff Wilson, who what? Yeah, 17 carries, 112 yards rushing on the ground. But this, this game is more about the New England Patriots. The worst loss at home in the Bill Belichick era, 33-6. I mean, that, I mean... When have you ever recalled the Patriots getting their asses handed to them like they did on like they did on Sunday? They're in trouble. They are two and two at home, two and four in the season. If they don't straighten up and fly right, the Patriots season could go south and could go south quick, fast, and in a hurry. They are in a heap, a heap of trouble. This and this is like the first time we've ever said this about the Patriots. In 20 years. But. It's rare. Rare. Ultra rare to say. That. In late October. Early November. The Patriots have a must win game. As does Buffalo. Because Buffalo. Has. 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 Has to come down to earth too. Buffalo needs to win this game. Just as badly as New England does. As you can start hearing the doubters for Josh Allen now, they haven't. The defense has been a mess. Josh Allen has not played great. I know they beat the Jets, but it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it was more about the Bills' defense. It was more about the Jets being pathetic, you know, and being offensively inept than it was about how great the Bills' defense is. Go look. Go go look. Go watch the Titan game and go watch the Chief game. Can't get off the field on third downs. Nor stop the run for that matter either. But it's a must-win game for Buffalo and New England. If New England wants any shot of stealing this division from Buffalo or making it as a wild card team, they gotta beat Buffalo. Cause I mean, thirty to six, and Cam and Cam Newton's also playing for his life too. If Cam Newton doesn't put together a good performance against Buffalo, 
his his not only his season as a Patriot, but his NFL career could be in jeopardy. I mean, it, it is that bad in New England. That bad. Switching gears to New England's former quarterback, Tommy Brady, who still at, what, 43 years of age, is still a bad somebody. And as much as I hate to say it, but... I mean, whether, whether, again, you never know who's listening, whether he's heard this show or whatever. I guess Brady is sick and tired of getting beaten over the head with Mahomes nonstop, too, because he basically said, hey, hey, Mahomes, you can't beat the Raiders. Well, here, you can't beat the Raiders and absolutely tear that, that defense to shreds. Well, uh, what's, what's, what's the phrase? Um, I forget it. It's the phrase from uh, one of those stupid asinine plays I had to go see when I was in middle school. I forget. Um, I f- it was from the King and I or the Sound of Music, wherever it is. Um, I I forget it slips my mind. But Tom Brady says, uh, Tom Brady says to Patrick Holmes, look, look at how you like me now. I mean, 43 years of age. 33 for 45, 369 passing yards, and four touchdown passes. I mean, whether he's listened to the show and heard my Mahomes rant, or he personally deep down is sick and tired of the Mahomes stuff too, and the Mahomes this, Mahomes that, Mahomes that go, blah, 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 blah. Tom Brady said, hey, I'm Tom Brady, and, I, and I'm still that bad MF'er that's been ruling this league for the better part of the last 20 years or so. First ballot Hall of Famous six-time Super Bowl champion, greatest quarterback of all time. Patrick Mahomes can't beat the Raiders? Okay, I can. Watch me now. And he just absolutely just put on a performance. A performance. And this is coming from a person that can't stand Brady as far as I can throw him. Hell, you you y'all heard me. Y'all heard me get all over him a couple weeks ago. But you know what? If if people go crazy about Brady, fine. Greatest quarterback of the sport. 43 years of age. His legacy is cemented in concrete. Patrick Mahomes, let's see him do a little bit more first. But Brady, oh my goodness, Brady. It, it just shows with Brady when he has a great, where he's at this point in his career where if he has a great game, he'll blow you out the water. With, how, with, with with his great games, and when he plays terribly, he looks like he should be heading towards retirement. I think I think that's where Brady is at this point. It's either all or nothing. He 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 plays he plays like the goat or he plays like a goat. He either plays he either plays like the greatest to ever do it, and when he plays bad. He plays like a complete scrub. It's almost as if Brady's at the point of his career where it's like it's like two extremes. His bad games will look like trash, old, washed up, and his great games will look like the way he, he he'll look like he's uh, thirty years old. But I mean, and then the Buccaneers add Antonio Brown. I mean, whew, five and two. And uh, look out, NFC, because uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be wreaking havoc. And uh, 
Do do I think the Antonio Brown signing again makes them a lock to go to Super Bowl? No, I have to see more. But it I tell you this, it wouldn't surprise me if they're uh if they're in the Super Bowl this year. Really wouldn't. To the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals, and then I'll uh and then I'll give you my thoughts on my Cincinnati Bengals who contain, who uh find new ways to uh to blow football games. Um the Seattle Seahawks lost 37-34. Get one of the I can't recall staying staying up that late to watch a Sunday night football game. That game didn't end till about 12:15, 12:20 and then and part of it was because halftime because halftime started late because you had 9 million injuries that required the cart and the you know and it took forever for the players to get off of the field. Seahawks lose their first game since their divisional round loss against the Packers back in January. Their first regular season game since they lost by a quarter of an inch against the 49ers if you remember, who ironically enough is their next opponent on Sunday. Um, Russ Wilson, honestly, had he threw three touchdown passes and Tyler Lockett had one of the greatest receiver performances that you're ever going to see. Granted, they played five quarters with 15 receptions, 200 yards receiving, and 30, and excuse me, and three touchdown catches. Russ Wilson uh, had one of the, uh, well, I don't know what it is about Russell Wilson and playing in Arizona, but he always has he always saves his weird, fluky, underwhelming performances for when he plays in Seattle. 33 for 50, 388 yards passing, with, uh, and, he, and he turned over the ball three times. One of them, he should owe DK Metcalf whatever dinner he wants because if it wasn't for DK Metcalf running like a stallion down the sidelines catching Buda Baker, that would have been seven points, and who knows how the game would have turned out if Buda Baker would have went all the way, and then another interception, Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell, and then the other two uh, passes. I mean, I don't know what. I mean, watching it, it's like I don't know what Russ saw. I mean, and one Isaiah Simmons that essentially cost him the game in overtime was just dumb. I I don't know where whether the receiver ran the wrong route or whatever. I mean, he just floated that ball up there. I mean, Russ, come on, get pay attention, man. I mean, but again, if anyone deserves a break for having a bad game, it's him. He's been essentially the the best player, the best quarterback in the game prior to last Sunday night uh, up until that performance. So you give him a little bit of a break, and they are 5-1. and one. Granted, you don't like losing your first divisional matchup of the season. Uh, the the you know the Cardinals have the Cardinals have are I think are already two and zero against the NFC West this season so you don't like losing those divisional games, but if anyone you know if anyone is going to get uh ever skated for it is Russell Wilson but he 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 did not have a great he did not have a great game on Sunday whatsoever was careless with the football. I mean, I don't know what what the what the concept of the play of the passing pattern of the pass patterns were for the interceptions that he threw. One for DK Metcalf would have been uh, one of his turnovers would have cost Seattle seven points. I mean, I it I don't, I don't know what to make of that Russell Wilson performance. If I'm Russell Wilson, I uh, I essentially flush that game down the toilet because that is one of the uh, wor- well, that was one of the worst performances I've I've ever seen uh, out of Russell Wilson's career. I mean, that performance in that game 
as far as far as as far as the I mean I, I haven't seen Russ Wilson this careless with turning over the football since since uh, the 2014 AFC Championship game and I'll pull it up right here just to make sure I'm accurate I haven't seen Russell Wilson that careless with the football since uh, since he threw since he threw three interceptions in the first half against against the Packers in the twenty fourteen uh and in the twenty fourteen uh NFC championship game. Where he where he turned where he turned over the ball three plus times. Four four for the game, I think three of them I think three of them came in came in the first half. But I, I haven't seen Russell Wilson that careless with the ball since that since that game. Where he was where it was like or with the Packers defense, you get an interception, you get an interception, and you get an interception. I mean, and and it just and it just shows you how Russell Wilson's bad performances are few and far in between. But uh, it's the what with Seattle losing on Sunday night makes uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers the only undefeated team in the National Football League. Having said that, let's switch gears to my Cincinnati Bengals now. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have I, I've I've grown numb. I've grown numb. I, y'all, I tweeted out the picture. I, I didn't even, and we would simply watching him as a. My mother took that picture. I I I don't even recall her taking it. I'm glad she did because I'm glad y'all got to see the look on my face after. When Baker Mayfield threw that threw that touchdown pass, generally I'd be pissed. I'd be screaming, gussing, going crazy. I I am so numb to my Bengals breaking my heart in crunch time to the point where I'm numb. Where it's like it doesn't even phase me emotionally anymore. I have become so used, used to, the ineptitude, whether it's the defense collapsing in two-minute drills, the offense not using up enough clock on their last possession of the game, whatever it is, stupid penalties that cost us, whatever it is, I've become so used to my team breaking my heart at the end of football games that... Instead of me screaming, screaming at the top of my lungs at the end of the games, I literally just watch watch that, watch what I'm seeing on the TV, and and make like a uh, and 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 make a face. Whether it's with the. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to explain it and how to say anything anymore. Joe Burrow played well, but eh. I, I know he's a franchise quarterback. Tyler Boyd had a hell of a performance. A.J. Green, second game in a row he was involved. T. Higgins wasn't bad. You miss having Joe Mixon in the lineup. But I mean, Joe Burrow didn't get killed like he did in week two. 
which I guess is a positive you can take away from it. But I've be I've, I've, this team is the definition of insanity. In case you don't know what the definition of insanity is, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I mean, the defense was horrendous in the second half. And they've been horrendous at the end of tight football games. They've been terrible. Been terrible. They stink. They flat up and down stink. And I knew that that the Bengals scored way too quickly. Way too quickly. I understand fourth and inches... But scored way too quickly in that situation. Not because Bacon Mayfield is Otto Graham, but because of the fact that you straight up and down cannot trust this defense to hold a lead late in a late in a football game for anything. Because they stink. They straight up and down in the second half of games and in crunch time of games. Ladies and gentlemen, the Cincinnati Bengals defense in crunch time of football games straight up and down stink. They are awful. They let Baker Mayfield, who was over five to begin the game, Look like Otto Graham essentially for the rest of the for the rest of the football game, especially on that last drive. I think the one of the first few plays at the beginning of that of that game winning drive for Cleveland had their arms around Baker Mayfield and he slipped away as if he put butter or grease all over his uniform. When he's in your hands, you have to tackle him and finish the play. Come on! They, but they they, 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 they just stink, ladies. They just, I don't know what y'all want me to say. They stink. They straight up and down stink. They're pathetic. They're garbage. I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. And Zach Taylor and his whole coaching staff, they need to go. They need to go, and they need to go now. Especially Lou Anarama, whatever his name is. Your defense is freaking pathetic. He needs to go. And Zach Taylor needs to go because since 2019, the Bengals are 1-12-1 in games decided by eight points or fewer. That is the worst record in the NFL under that set of circumstance. The worst wreck in the NFL. Not the Falcons, not the Chargers, the Cincinnati Bengals under not Sam White's leadership, God rest his soul, not under Marvin Lewis's leadership, under Coach Zach Taylor's leadership. He needs to go. When you can't, when you've made it a pattern that you cannot close out games 
when you're up by eight points or fewer, that's not by coincidence. That's what you call a trend. And the fact of the matter of it is, Zach Taylor and, on, and the Bengals under his leadership cannot close out games decided by eight points or fewer. They just can't do it. Whether it's the fact that Joe Burrow makes an, makes an untimely turnover, the defense collapses down the stretch, whatever it might be, they cannot close. They straight up and down can not close. And what they and if Zach Ted isn't fired, which he isn't going to be, what he needed was Alec Baldwin and that scene, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. A B C. A always B B C closing. Always be closing. That needs to be put up on the bulletin board within the Bengals facility. Because this team, when it chips on the middle of the table and the tough gets going, this team straight up and down cannot close football games. They just can't do it. And it ain't Joe Burrow's fault. It's not in it. That's coaching. You have to coach your team to close out games. That is not a player issue. That is a coaching issue. And if this team wants to get far with Burrow, not just in this season, but in seasons down the road, they need to figure out how to close football games. I called up Mad Dog, and Mad Dog's trying to tell me, well, what do you expect? You're not winning this, you're not winning that. All you need to know is that it, it's for the seasons for the future and you got to find a QB and Burrow. And I told him, I said, dog, I don't need 16 games to tell me that Burrow's a franchise quarterback. I learned that after the Charger game. Okay? You play to win, as the old Herm Edwards line, you play to win the games. Okay? I understand that the Cincinnati Bengals' goal is not to win the Super Bowl in 2020. I understand all that. I understand their goal isn't to win the division. I understand all that. I understand the chances of them beating the Steelers twice is lesser than the chances of me getting a date with Liv Cowherd in Hollywood Park. I understand all that. But when games are there to be won and lost, and they're there for y'all to win them, you have to win them. No excuses. No questions asked. Period. Cut and dry. When the games are there to be won, you got to win the football games. That game on Sunday was there for us to be won, and we straight up and down could not close and finish the deal. Whatever it might be, the fact the defense stinks in pressure situations, Untimely turnovers by the offense. Randy Bullock decides it's a perfect opportunity to miss a field goal. Whatever it might be, this team under Zach Taylor's leadership has one win and 12 losses in games decided by eight points or fewer. The worst in the National Football League since 2019. That ain't going to cut it. I understand rebuild, I understand development, but that ain't going to cut it.
They 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 don't play they don't play you know uh, simulations in practice. They play the real life football games, and they count. Whether you're competing for a Super Bowl or not, the games count. And when the games are there, won and lost, straight up and down, the Bengals under Zach Taylor's leadership straight up cannot deliver the goods. They cannot do it. And that is a and when it's, and when it becomes a trend like that, it ain't a coincidence. It's a trend, and when it's becoming as consistent as it is now, that falls on the head head and shoulders of the head coach, not the players, not anybody, not ownership, not me, not the fact. That's coaching. That straight up and down is coaching. If you can't close out and finish games. That falls on the coaching. Case closed, period, end of story. That falls on the coaching. Straight up and down. Falls on the coaching. And if this franchise wants to get anywhere in the future, either Zach Taylor has two choices. Fix it and fix it now or get the hell out. And the defensive coordinator, Lou, I don't know, whatever his name is, got to go too. Got to go. Def this defense stinks. Seattle's defense does too, which I forgot to bring up. Both both of their defenses can't close a damn thing. Seattle's and, and, and the Bengals. The defenses stink. They stink. Awful. They cannot close out games for anything. Both of them stink. Seattle's against Arizona. And when they had when they had multiple leads in that game, couldn't finish a deal. Bengals defense, many of opportunities in this season, couldn't close them out, couldn't finish the Both both of their defenses are horrendous, horrendous. From a Cleveland standpoint, they needed to win the game because if Cleveland couldn't deliver the goods against the Bengals, they were they were in some serious trouble. And they're and they're still to a certain degree in trouble with OBJ's torn ACL injury, which he'll be out for the rest of the year. And Carlos Dunlap screaming and yelling, throwing a hissy fit, being unprofessional on the sidelines, gets his wish and gets traded west to Seattle in exchange for BJ Finley, Seahawks offensive lineman. Take a break. Get to the Ravens. They got some news as far as their uh, roster moves are involved. I'll talk about them next. Don't go anywhere. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. Welcome back 
to the I'm Telling Like a TIS podcast. One item of business to get to, and then we say goodbye. Um, the New York, the New York, the Baltimore Ra- I don't know why I said New York, but it just rolled off my tongue there. The Baltimore Ravens got busy uh, as far as player movement is involved. They got De- they signed Des Bryant to their practice squad, who, of course, if you remember, uh, the Saints signed him this past, or not this past, but last season, tore his Achilles in a practice, and the Saints let him go. Hasn't seen any game action in about three years. They signed him to the practice squad uh, this past week. They're looking to, uh, Ravens, of course, had a bye week last week, practice squad this week, and... Uh, and it would not, and I would not put it past, and it would not put it past me if uh, I, I don't expect to see him play in the Steeler game, but um, but expect to see Des Bryant uh, make the Ravens uh, active game roster uh, sometime in the month of November, if not if not then, then definitely December because the Ravens need that receiving help in the worst way because uh, Willie Snead and Marquise Brown. Uh, ain't going to cut it. And the Ravens are one of the uh, worst teams as far as uh, passing offense is concerned in the National Football League. And again, they must have heard, again, they must have heard, uh, Steelers listen, maybe Tom Brady listens, maybe the Ravens and Eric DaCosta listen. Because um, as I said last week, that um, that this that the Ravens cannot expect to win football games you know, with with uh, playing the game their way with Lamar Jackson running rampant and only throwing the ball 15 times. They can't expect to beat the Titans. They can't beat the Chiefs. They can't beat, you know, they, they can't beat any team they run into with a decent defense in the AFC playoffs if they cannot uh, if they cannot throw the football to win the game, you know, and it w- being being forced to, not when Lamar wants to, fifteen throws the ball fifteen times, throws for three hundred yards. No, 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 no. I mean, when he has to throw the ball about thirty something times because because their opponent is stopping the run and making Lamar beat him with his arm, and Willie Sneed and Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown ain't gonna cut it receiving wise, and they needed a receiver with some experience who was a who was. Who is, of course, a former All Pro, Pro Bowler, has some playoff experience, and has some experiences being the number one receiver. He, of course, was Tony Romo's favorite target in Dallas all those years ago, um, and the, and it's a good signing and a good move for the Ravens because they need that primary number one receiving target in the worst way. You know, it was a talks. So, you know, they they were interested in Antonio Brown before the season started. Ravens didn't go anywhere near him as they should have, um, but they needed that number one. They needed that pure bona fide number one receiving target that could that that has the ability to take over a football game. Des Bryant is still fairly young. I think he's I think he's in his early thirties. You would think that he still has plenty of gas left in that tank of his. He every single time I turn around, he's showing up on my Instagram feed, absolutely balling. You know, running through drills, running routes, practicing on these uh, on these high school football fields all over America, proving proving to the NFL, proving to the masses that he still has what it takes to be an elite wide receiver in the National Football League. And lo and behold, the Ravens gave him a chance, signed him to the practice squad, and they would not put it past me that the Ravens. That he would make the Ravens uh, active roster in due time. That's item number one. Item number two from a Baltimore Ravens standpoint is the fact that they traded 
uh, as uh, as Yannick Ndakwe, formerly of the Minnesota Vikings and was teammates with Calais Campbell down in Jacksonville a few short years ago. Uh, he will now join Calais Campbell on the Ravens' pass rush as the Ravens traded for him. Um, I believe uh, I believe that this past weekend, so I'm literally getting to this, but they traded for Yannick Ndakwe and... Um, and hey, the Ravens, they that defense, the rich get richer, and the Ravens defense is only going to get better. They got you know they got Calais Campbell sitting there. Patrick Queen is a phenomenal player. It's you know if you're a Raven fan, you like what GM Eric DaCosta is doing because they you can tell that they are trying to set up that team to make a run for Super Bowl. I say get Des Bryant as quickly as as quickly uh, within the system. Knowing the routes, knowing the plays, knowing the offense, I say get Des Bryant involved quick, fast, and in a hurry because the Ravens are going to need him if they want any shot of uh, of uh, beating Kansas City, who they haven't proven to beat yet. Even if they have to go up against Pittsburgh in January or Tennessee again, or uh, or um uh, or or the Colts as a, or the Bryant, they they need receiver help. They need receiver help, and it also doesn't hurt to add a an elite pass rusher, an elite guy on that defensive line, and Yannick and Dockway. So the Ravens making moves obviously here as we reach the halfway point. It's hard to believe in the twenty twenty NFL season. But that is your episode. I'm Metallica TIS podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it TIS. It's your boy Josh Shields. Talk to you this weekend. Be sure to get out and vote, everybody. Y'all take care. See ya.